Greetings, friends and colleagues. Welcome to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast, a service of Encourse Education Solutions. I am Scott Lee. I hope you are safe and well. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Mark Fincham, the Executive Director of the Tennessee Council for the Social Studies. Recently retired from teaching, Mark taught for 33 years in middle school, high school, and community college, teaching history, geography, and AP human geography. He is a former board member for the National Council for the Social Studies, where he has served on numerous committees and currently chairs the NCSS Indigenous Education Community. He has also advised publishing companies and the Tennessee State Museum. Our discussion focused on a 2021 law enacted in Tennessee that limits the ability of teachers to discuss racial and gender issues, as well as structural racism and similar topics. One of several states to have passed similar laws, Tennessee's law cuts funding to school districts if teachers are found to be in violation. We start off discussing the activities of the Tennessee Council for the Social Studies. Mark Fincham is the Executive Director of the Tennessee Council for the Social Studies. Thank you, Mark, for joining us today on the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Part of what we're going to talk about today uh, deals with some recent legislation uh, in Tennessee. But before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about what the Tennessee Council for Social Studies is doing and tell us a little bit about uh, any upcoming events uh, that you'd like to share. Well, the Tennessee Council for the Social Studies is made up of about 400 members from all across the state of Tennessee, all grade levels from uh, elementary, middle school, high school, college, and different content areas, history, geography, sociology, anthropology, psychology, government, civics, and so forth. We are a state chapter of the National Council for the Social Studies, which has uh, approximately 23,000 members nationwide and an international uh, contingent as well. As far as what Tennessee Council for the Social Studies is doing, we have an annual conference, and this next one will be in February of uh, 2022. It will be held in Memphis, so we'd like to invite everybody to check that out. Uh, you could come to our website, which is simply tnsocialstudies.org. Uh, sign up to become a member there, get on the mailing list, get us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find the National Council at simply socialstudies.org. The National Council does a conference every year, and this one coming up in November will be in Minneapolis, and it'll be attended by somewhere around 3,000 to 3,500 teachers from all across the country. Since the audience for this podcast is primarily teachers, uh, uh, are familiar with the work of their colleagues, don't want to spend a lot of time talking about what social studies and civics teachers do. Just briefly, if you could tell us a little bit about what you see as some of the biggest misconceptions about the work of social studies and civics teachers in general. Well, I think the first thing I would say that's a major misconception, social studies teachers do not simply teach dry fact. There are those out there in the general public, I believe, and 
maybe even in the state legislature who thinks that's what we do or that's what we're supposed to do. They don't understand about historians and the work historians do. They don't understand about history teachers and what we do. They think we teach facts like, you know, presidents and kings and battles and dates and wars and winners and losers state capitals, national capitals, find this place on the map and that place on the map. Now, a certain amount that's necessary as a background for all of what happens. One of my friends says that history plays out on the geography stage. So you have to understand some of that, but you don't need to spend a lot of the time on that in the class because all you have to do is push a couple of buttons on your smartphone or your computer keyboard and you can find out the state capital of this, that, or the other uh, the national capital, whatever. We don't spend much time in class studying dates and names and places. If that's going on in the classroom, then they're outdated for sure. Uh, so I think a lot of people don't realize what we do beyond that. And I don't think people realize the relevance of social studies. And I don't think they realize how much it's been marginalized over the last few decades. You know, you mentioned uh, the marginalization of the social studies and don't want to take anything away from STEM teachers. You know, and we've had uh, several really good STEM teachers who've been guests on the podcast in the past, but it is uh, concerning, uh, at least to me, how much less uh, is spent on STEM uh, than on social studies. Not that we want to take away from STEM, but certainly advocate for more funding for social studies, but not at the expense of other content areas. Let me just kind of point out two things. One in general, I'd like for everybody to go and look at what is the mission statement for your school building or your school system. Most likely it says nothing about math or science, but it very possibly says something about being good citizens. Mm-hmm. And I know that's the case for the school where I was about um, good citizens who are lifelong learners. So it may be something more generic than that. It may not say citizenship, but if it says anything, it says something like that. That's a social studies content area. Let me mention to you something else. Charles Haynes and Terry Pickerel, who were part of the founding movement of the civic missions in schools, had a really good quote. And I first heard it from Sid Goldston, who's past president of the National Council for the Social Studies and a good friend of mine. But here's, I want to give credit to the right place, but here's the quote. Reading and math are important, very important. But if we care about the health of our nation, then we must be more concerned about what kind of citizens do the math and read the books. So if you've kept up with politics, and I'm not just limiting myself to the last four years, but in general, you have to understand the need for civics because we can't seem to have a town hall meeting that runs the way it's supposed to. And what went on with the state legislature in Tennessee, that was not the way laws should be passed. You know, if I were teaching a government class and I said, you know, these laws were passed with no more than two days in discussion, no expert witnesses, no outside testimony, no foundation in facts, or if there is, they didn't present it, then that's not the way to run a democracy. That's not how government should work. Now, obviously, sometimes that's the way it works, but that is not the way it should work. And we'll get into the issues about 
uh, critical race theory and uh, structural racism in just a minute, uh, which incidentally did get passed, you're right, in two days uh, with no hearings. But it wasn't just that. Several of the laws are that uh, the Tennessee state legislature passed this past year, and this is not exclusive to Tennessee. A lot of states, similar things happened. One in particular that I'm thinking of is there was, and I don't know the uh, House bill, Senate bill number, uh, but it did pass. It was signed. Allow parents to opt students out of any discussion um, about uh, transgender uh, LGBTQ plus rights issues in schools, and you've got to give 30 days notice. And I sent a lengthy email to my own legislator about that issue specifically saying, you know, I used to be a school administrator. What do I do if I've got a student who's being bullied over a potential issue of, uh, that involves LGBTQ plus issues? Do I have to wait 30 days to discipline the student before I can talk to him about him and uh, questions about that? And of course, I didn't get an answer. And the problem was not so much that I, that I didn't get an answer, but I'm sitting there thinking nobody actually appeared in front of a committee to ask that question either. I, I find that very concerning. What are your thoughts on how government is running and should be running. We're already getting away from topic, but I, I still think it's important. Well, one of the things to consider is the timing of it. Some of these laws, the CRT and such, came along at the very end, which is fell during the time that teachers across the state, with some variation, are wrapping up the school year. They're doing their AP national exams, or they're doing their TN Ready end of the year courses. Uh, tests and so forth. And that's one of the busier times of the year for a teacher. All times are pretty busy, except maybe fall break or spring break. And those tend to be busy sometimes um, with teachers trying to improve by taking classes and doing different things. But it's at a time when it would be extremely difficult for teachers to do a whole lot. I think one of the things I'm hoping to see happen with Tennessee Council of Social Studies, and we'll discuss it at our next board meeting, is being proactive and planning to ask our board to make a committee that will work on advocacy and will be in touch with administrators, uh, legislators in the state capital to say what's coming up and what can we do? Because it's hard to deal with something when you don't know about it. It's hard to deal with anything when it happens, you know, almost overnight. And if a friend of mine hadn't contacted me, I don't think I would have known about it. And when I found out about it, I started sharing it with the executive board for TCSS and to try to have time to do anything about it. There just wasn't. And so I want to be more proactive with our organization. I hope anybody else who's involved in education will do the same thing and be proactive and start immediately with getting in touch with their representatives. It doesn't have to be after the session begins next time around. But go ahead, let them know that if there's something coming up that has to do with education in general, social studies in particular, or anything else, get in touch with me. And, you know, if I do that or some of our executive board members do that, we can then in turn not just say what we individually might think, but we can check with other members of the executive board uh, and then go on to the board of directors and go to the membership. 
and uh, get input on it, which we did that, but it was too late to know uh, to be able to have any effect on this uh, particular bill. Yeah, so let's uh, let's talk about that bill in particular. Tennessee, along with uh, several other states, potentially as many as 15 at the last count, although that may be different by the time that this airs. Uh, recently, Tennessee passed a law, and as we already mentioned, without having committee hearings, and at a time when teachers were distracted doing their jobs. And this law limits or outlaws discussion of topics related to critical race theory. Do need to mention critical race theory itself is not mentioned specifically in the law. You know, TCSS, along with many other uh, professional organizations, has taken a position on this. Uh, first off, what is the position specifically? And then let's talk a little bit more about advocacy. Well, let me just quote a little bit from the TCSS statement that the uh, executive board put together and then uh, shared with the membership. Here's a couple of quotes that I think summarize what it's all about. This bill delegitimizes the teaching profession by calling into question teachers' academic qualifications and pedagogical decision-making. The bill perpetuates a misunderstanding of what practices occur in Tennessee public schools and of what constitutes history and social studies education by conveying the notion that teachers present only static facts about the past. What we know about the past is only known to us through the interpretation of evidence, which is an extension of imperfect individuals who have limited perspectives, biases, and prejudices. By censuring the comprehensive history, social science education that is required of students, this bill will hinder social studies educators' work to produce students who can master historical thinking skills and evaluate multiple perspectives in order to be productive, responsible, and competent citizens in our diverse and democratic society. That's the gist of what TCSS has to say, and that uh, coincides well with what the National Council of Social Studies also um, has had to say. Let's be clear that, that just because a teacher discusses structural racism, for example, or the privileged status, my opinion, this has been settled science for years. Structural racism exists in our society. Yeah, it's almost like climate change. It's just about impossible to argue that it doesn't exist because it's example after example after example, it being there. You're know, going into specific examples, hours and hours and hours, but it's there. Teachers are not, or social studies teachers, and for that matter, other uh, content area teachers as well, just because they say that exists doesn't somehow mean that we're indoctrinating kids. That just means we're opening a discussion about something that we've got facts that demonstrate that this is the case. Well, when we did that survey that TCSS did of members, I, I pulled a quote out of that that I'd like to share right here that I think really fits what you're saying. Don't know whether this teacher is in East or Middle or West Tennessee. I don't know if it's male or female. I just know high school teacher, and that'll become obvious. Um, but here's the quote. I see this bill impacting nearly every course I teach, from looking specifically at race as a social construct and racial inequality in my sociology elective, 
to teaching historical events like the Atlantic slave trade at apartheid in my world history class to discussions of gentrification, block busting and redlining in my AP human geography class, race is a part of our social studies curriculum. And that teacher ended that statement with an exclamation point. And so I thought that was very appropriate to mention there is it's going to impact to some degree in some way, teachers in history class, whether that be elementary, middle school, high school, whether that be geography class, whether that be sociology class, uh, anything that social studies, government civics, it's going to be there. And when you look at these, this thread of racism, it runs from the beginning, whether you call the beginning 1619 or 1776 or East Tennessee in 1540 with DeSoto coming through or whenever you want to call the beginning of this country, it's been there and it's still there. And whether it's because there's some bad apples in a bunch, well, there's bad apples, you know, in that barrel from 1540 or whenever you want to start, 1492. And you cannot discuss the country's history without touching on things that make people uncomfortable. And if you are not making people uncomfortable, maybe you're not doing it right. That doesn't mean that's your goal to make somebody uncomfortable. You know, it's my wife does lots and lots of research on genealogy. She has something above 70,000 names now in her database. And some of those people she's proud of, some not so much. I know in my family tree, there was one man who was really, really, really poor. So poor that when he was wanting to get married, his future mother-in-law was opposed to it. She told her daughter, if you marry Bill, you'll have to come. If you cut your finger, you'll have to come home. Just get a rag to tie it up with. That's how poor he was. So I cannot be ashamed of that any more than I can be proud of some ancestor. I'm not responsible for that. None of us are. We're responsible for what we do about it. So we're not responsible for the fact that, you know, we as any individual today, regardless of your ethnicity or background of any sort, economic or socio, you're not responsible for the removal of the Cherokee. You're not responsible for blocking the door of the school when an African-American student wanted to enroll but you are responsible for what you do yourself. And are you helping the situation be better or not? And so you cannot do much to make the situation better if you do not understand the situation and you can't understand current events unless you will understand the history behind them. That's why in social studies, you know, the big theme of cause and effect, if you don't understand it, well, you're not much of a citizen. Let's just say that. You, you mentioned the word uncomfortable. And that is, to me, one of the most concerning parts of, well, there's a lot of concerning parts, the way the law is written, but literally the law says that a student can't be made to feel uncomfortable, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I sometimes want to think about it, you know, a basketball coach, uh, when I coach basketball, the way to teach kids, students, athletes in this case, to be successful sometimes required a little bit of discomfort, even something simple like free throws. Well, it's not comfortable to shoot 500 free throws. If you do that, you'll probably get better. Right. And, you know, the intention 
is not to make anybody feel bad. If that's the teacher's intention, he or she needs to find another occupation and the sooner the better. Your intention needs to be to help kids. And I, I say kids and I've taught community college people, you know, older than me, I still tell, listen, I call you my kids if I've ever had you in class, but you want your kids to understand how things were and what does that have to do with today? You don't want to make them uncomfortable but if it happens, it, you know, then you deal with it in an appropriate manner. And one way to avoid that, of course, is always being open and honest, but also uh, grade level uh, specific in terms of being developmentally appropriate. You know, there are things you might do at um, ninth grade that you wouldn't do at fourth grade. Not out there to make anybody uncomfortable. But if you can read everything that's been done by this group or that group against the other group and not feel like, well, that wasn't right. You know, there's some things that are just wrong. So I know I hear some people saying that, well, you got to look at things through the eyes of the time. And I understand that concept, but let's think about that for a minute. Is that really true, though? Because, you know, we talk about uh, slavery and that, uh, you know, Andrew Jackson had a lot of slaves and that looking at it through the eyes of that time period. You know, it was common practice for a lot of folks. Yes, but during that time period, there was also abolition movements going up. And so when you talk about the removal, you know, the Trail of Tears, as it's commonly called, a lot of people say, well, you know, that was kind of the time that they lived in. People like David Crockett were, was against it and spoke up in Congress. Right. Daniel Webster was against it. And the Supreme Court was, was against Supreme, it. Yeah. So when you talk about looking through the eyes of the time, Remember that there's more than one set of eyes at any given point in history. So it may have been harder for somebody to see the problem of slavery, but I'm not sure it was. I've read some of Thomas Jefferson's work and works about Thomas Jefferson. To some degree, at least, he struggled with the issue. George Washington struggled with the issue. So if somebody at the time is struggling with the issue, they are uncomfortable with the issue. And so that's clear that there are two perspectives, at least two two sets of eyes or more on any given topic. So let's don't, let's don't overlook that when we talk about time periods and how to look at things and don't look through 21st century glasses. That's only useful up to a point. That's just so well said. It is sometimes hard to remember. These were all things that were even, that were being debated even then, even by people who you know, came down really on the wrong side. Uh, ultimately, they could not have known. One more thing that I uh, want to talk about this bill in the little bit of time that we have left, this bill, it doesn't do much good to say what the title was because the title of the bill had nothing to do with, with the issues of structural racism. This was strictly an amendment that was added at the last minute. But it takes effect for the 2021-2022 uh, uh, school year. Do not have any uh, rules from the State Department of Education yet. We understand that those are forthcoming, at least at the time that we are recording this. What considerations do you think teachers need to be making as they think about starting the school year when we actually uh, will air this podcast? That's a good question, and I think I may go back to answer that to one of the other quotes that came to TCSS when we did this survey. We asked teachers if they thought it would greatly affect their teaching or slightly or not sure or likely not or definitely not. 39% said it would greatly. 
yes, but not greatly, just slightly is another 22%. So you've got basically 60% of our respondents saying it was going to have an impact. And here's what one teacher said, and this is a quote, I now find myself in danger of breaking the law for telling the truth. However, I have the duty to speak truth to power. And if I must pay a cost to do so, then it shall be so. I think I might like to use that quote to answer your question. Teachers, I would encourage you to be prepared to teach accurately, fairly, and consistently, which is basically what you're doing anyway. Beyond that, look and see whatever guidelines the Tennessee Department of Education is going to come up with. I'm sure glad that's not my responsibility. <laughs> As you know, and anybody else who's looked at this law, and I've looked at it and just shaken my head two or three dozen times, it's so vague. You don't know if you're breaking the law or not, really. You've already done it. And who's going to know if you did? I know there was uh, one story I read where a group, um, I want to think it was in Nevada, uh, suggested uh, body cams on teachers. Are you kidding me? But I've seen enough to know, no, that's, that's what they're thinking. Uh, hopefully Tennessee knows better than that, but I'm not going to make any promises. What does it mean to break the law? Um, what are the consequences? Uh, it says, you know, withhold funding. Yeah. For what funding? How much funding? For how long? And are there any opportunities for redress? You know, if, if the state thinks I did something and I don't think I did, is there a system for discussing that and appealing that decision? Uh, how many people is it going to take to do this? You know, is this going to take up time on the State Board of Education, the State Department of Education? Is my local uh, superintendent or director of schools going to have to hire staff for it? And if so, who's going to pay for it? Who knows? This yeah. could be one of those things that scares teachers. And some of what I've read indicates that there are teachers who are scared, who are going to pull back from trying to do anything that they feel that they should do and just go back to something very basic. There's going to be some teachers who are, you know, going to forge ahead. There's just, there's just no answer to what's going to happen. We just need to be prepared and be ready to do what's right. That's one of the things I got to hear from Sergeant Sammy Davis a couple of weeks ago, Medal of Honor recipient, went to a uh, teacher institute on the Vietnam War, and he told us, he said, um, teachers are my heroes. And I think all 38 of us in the room got a lump in our throat to have a decorated Medal of Honor recipient stand up in front of us and tell us we were his heroes. And he said, do what is right in your heart and what is best will rise to the surface let's do what sergeant davis said let's do what we know is right in our heart yes he wrote a book called you don't lose until you stop trying and so i think that is apropos for this conversation for teachers in general and it's a a good book to read it tells about his life growing up his experiences in vietnam and what he's done since then. And by the way, if you've seen the movie Forrest Gump, the part in it about the Vietnam War uh, is based on Sammy's story. 
I did know that there was nothing in uh, in the actual book, in Winston Groom's book, <laughs> Forrest Gump, about the Vietnam War. It ended before that. So that's uh, interesting. I did not know that. Thank you very much, Mark. I've uh, enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for appearing today and best wishes to you. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. I'd appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is brought to you as a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. If you would like to learn more about how we help schools and youth organizations implement high-quality, holistic, and equitable interventions, please visit our website, www.oncoursesolutions.net. This has been Episode 4 of the Fall 2021 season. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues about it, either in person or using social media. We also greatly appreciate positive reviews on the podcast app you use. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee, who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of producer, partners, or underwriters. Guests are never compensated for appearance, nor do guests pay to appear. Transcripts are available following podcast publication at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may be made on the Contact Us page at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.